postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about the lost art of evangelism. Now, here's the thing. I didn't actually make that title up. I'm kind of like copying it. Um, because there's an amazing article. I'm going to link it. It's going to be in the show notes. It's going to be on the blog as well uh, at Arise on the Lightbearers blog, actually, um, called The Lost Art of Evangelism. And I read that article and I was just like so blown away by just how amazing it was that I had to contact the author, invite her on the show and talk about this like super cool article. So, I'm actually joined right now by the author of this article, Annalise Wallman. Annalise, um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Ah, doing fantastic. Annalise, tell us a little bit about yourself, just for our listeners, sort of introduce uh, the legend of Annalise. The legend of Annalise. That feels um, not quite accurate. Legend is not really the right word. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I uh, grew up mostly in the Pacific Northwest in the U.S., though I've lived a little bit all over the states. And um, let's see here. I've always been into art and creativity. It's been, yeah, just something my mom really encouraged in um, with all of us kids. Um, and I currently reside in Eugene, Oregon, and work for Lightbearers Ministries. Nice. So... Where where were you? You weren't born in Oregon, were you? No, I was born in a little fishing town in Alaska, actually. In Alaska? Get out of here. That's crazy. It's true. Wow. My dad lived in Alaska. He was in the Army back in, like, the Vietnam days, and he was stationed in Alaska. And he wants to be oh, buried dang, there. Wow. Like, he loved it. Yeah, it's a beautiful state. I think everybody should go visit. Cause I it's would definitely just like to go visit. There. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. That is awesome. <laughs> Well, yeah, I want to I want to get into this uh, article that you wrote, The Lost Art of Evangelism. But before I do mm-hmm. that, I do have a fun question that I want to ask you. I usually um, always sort of have a fun question for all the guests on the podcast. Um, so here's mm-hmm. here's mine. Are you ready for it? Yeah. All right. If you could eliminate one thing from your daily routine, something that you find annoying, right, about your daily routine, um, what would it be and why? <laughs> That's hard because I like I love eating, so I don't want to get rid of that. Yes. Um, yeah. Not the eating. Yeah. No. What about the preparing and, the food though? Like it just magically uh, is prepared every day. It's just there. And you yeah. Just have to eat it. <laughs> yeah, that would be having someone to cook would actually be really amazing. I, man, that's tricky because you know, on the one hand, my first thought is like, well, getting up would be nice if I just didn't have to do that. But, <laughs> but yeah, not having to cook would probably 
be amazing. I'm not super great at cooking, and that feels just kind of I'm learning to enjoy it more. That was one of my goals for 2019 is that I wanted cool. to learn to cook better because nice. um, I suck at it. But <laughs> <laughs> not kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, that would be amazing because then, I, like during the day, I just get focused on work and people and other things, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this just feels like such a burden. Like, why do I have to make food? Yes. Anyway, <laughs> I hear you, man. And look, I gotta be honest. Like, I'm I'm spoiled because, um, you know, like I grew up in a a, a Latino home. Okay. And, you know, my oh, mom man, always so cooked. There. So, you know, I never had to cook, you know. So then I joined the army and there was always like a, a chow hall is what they called them where the food was, you know, like I never had to cook there either. It was just there. You know, I just went to the chow hall every day <laughs> and filled my plate up with the food like, you know, um, but now I have to cook. So, yeah, no, that's a that's a really good one. I think I think for me, like I. I'd eliminate like brushing my teeth, but n let me explain that so it's not as gross as it sounds. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to brush my teeth because that would be gross. I, I want my teeth to be perfectly clean. I just don't want to have to clean them like myself. I don't know if that makes sense. Like if there was like some robotic, like magical thing that just like clean my teeth every day, um, you know, and I didn't even have to think about it, that would be legit. That'd be awesome. I like that idea too, because there's lots of times where the end of the day comes and I'm just exhausted and I'm like, I don't want to, I just want to fall into bed. I don't want to think about anything. Yeah. So that, I totally get that. Like, you want to be hygienic, but like, does it have to just be such a chore? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we see eye to eye. This is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. Well, look, Annalise, I want to, um, first of all, thank you for, for being on here with me today um, and, and taking the time to talk about this amazing article. Like I said, guys, the article is linked in the show notes and it's also on the blog, The Lost Art of Evangelism at lightbearers.org. It's an absolutely amazing article. We're going to talk about it in this episode, but don't take that as a, okay, I don't need to read it now. Still go back and read it because there's going to be a lot more there that we won't have the time to cover. Um, but it's, it's a brilliant article, and I think you'll get the gist of that as we, as we talk. So I want to start out with a simple question, Annalise, and that is, what inspired you to write this article? And in a little while, in a little while, we'll talk about the premise of the article and, and what that's about. Um, but what, what inspired you to to write it? Okay. Um, wow. Let's see here. I'll do my best to be concise. I know I have a habit of like telling fifteen different stories in order to tell one story. Um, so <laughs> Love it, dude. Really it's all good, try. man. Be free. Be free. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, let's see here. Um, I think what, you know, it's a number of things converging. I mean, when we do anything, I don't think humans do anything in a vacuum. And for me, it was sort of a convergence of things I was learning spiritually. Um, I, uh, let's see here. I grew, I was raised um, going to church. And, um, but when it came to like, graduating from high school and then figuring out what I was actually going to do with my life, I felt pretty lost for a long time and I lacked a lot of purpose. I felt like, like I didn't, and it's, um, eventually I started, you know, understanding the gospel more. I think the gospel brings a lot of purpose, but I still wasn't, there's, you know, this journey you have to take where all of us are supposed to, um, be disciple makers and share how good God is but we each have different ways of doing that. And it took me a long time to figure out, okay, well, what is my way? 
and what's the way that God's called me to share. And I think I, um, I don't know if this is, well, yeah, there is a bit of, um, sometimes I feel like there's, maybe we emphasize certain um, occupations or like the, the uh, ability to witness in certain occupations more than in other occupations. And um, like teachers and pastors and um, doctors are really obvious ways that people, we can um, connect with people in the community and share how good God is. Um, but I never heard a lot about the arts um, growing up. And I always loved to draw and I always loved um, books. I loved reading. I loved making things with my hands and I loved decorating and just, you know, all things like when it came to like aesthetics. And anyway, um, then when I was um, 23, I moved to Light Bears and I had um, talked to Ty uh, Gibson and Yamil Rosario. They're my bosses and I had contacted them and asked them if they would do an internship in the office because I was in this, um, I had been taking a copy editing course and I was halfway through that and looking for internships and I asked them if they would, um, yeah, take me on. And so it was an experiment and we're like, okay, that, they were super, super gracious. And um, in the process of working for them, I just found um, a, like a community and a group of people who really celebrated the things that I liked to do. And it was like, all of a sudden I realized what, oh my goodness, there's people, like, there's a use for the things I like, and God has a place for, um, God has a place for, uh, yeah, the people who get excited about colors and um, music and the sounds and the way you word things in a sentence and, mm. um, yeah, literary eloquence, and, like, there's actually a use for that, and a very important use, and I started, um, yeah, it was just like a number of things. Like, so being in a, a community working for a ministry that, val um, that I think I don't, I want to be careful because I'm, I know that other ministries emphasize that too, I'm sure, but like to a very, um, high degree, I found, yeah, people here who, um, who emphasize that. And yeah, it was just little things here and there that came together. And I started realizing like, wow, God really cares about this. And I started reading in scripture. One of my friends, she's in medical school, um, but she, pointed out to me, she's like, hey, have you ever read that verse in Exodus um, where God calls Bezalel to build the sanctuary? And it says that God filled him with his spirit, and the result of that infilling of his Holy Spirit is this beautiful artistic structure. And he says, I'm going to inspire him basically to do all this amazing artistic work and all these artistic designs. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that's the result of God's spirit. Like that I had never connected so deeply um, the indwelling of God's spirit with um, aesthetic beauty. And right. so that was like a revelation for me. Yeah, there's there's a point in the article, and, um, and, and this is, you know, for those who are listening who haven't read the article, this is sort of the premise of the article. The lost art of evangelism is looking at the centrality of art in evangelism and more importantly in, in, in God's, you know, in the way in which God functions in the world. Um, there's a point in the article as where, where you're talking about Bezalel and and you're talking about how the holy spirit like came upon him like it filled him but he didn't prophesy he didn't speak in tongues you know he didn't uh um do all of those things we generally associate with the spirit what he did was art and i love that yeah talk, talk to me a little bit about that i know i love that too and i get so excited about it because i think how many people today would you know you look at it, you find someone on the street who's like 
rapping or like writing poetry or someone who's um, painting or you know whatever it is like writing music songs um, redoing their house or someone who wants to make their church look nicer like we don't think about that or value that as much as a way that um, this is reflecting God's character and showing a side of who he is that um, yeah and just like I guess it was just really validating to me to discover that that like it was like all of a sudden like my heart found its home in a way like this is what got like and I'm I, I'm I think that like your calling is an evolving journey, um, but it's just something that I know art has always, it's been a really big part of the way, um, more and more the way I process life. It's like a framework that God's given me to help me understand things and make sense of myself and make sense of him and relationships and life. And so more and more, I just feel like it's, I'm realizing how important it is and how like, I mean, for Pete's sake, like the first way that God is introduced to us in scripture is as a creator. Like he makes something before anything else, before any other like metaphor, like, you know, there's tons of metaphors or ways that, and creation isn't a metaphor, but you know, there's tons of other ways that God is um, portrayed to us in scripture. But the first thing, the first thought, or, sorry, the first thing is that, hey, I'm, I'm the one who made everything and I made beauty. That is powerful. I love that. I yeah, love I think that. it's super powerful yeah. too. Absolutely, man. So I want to go, I want to go to the beginning of the article because okay. I love the way in which you frame this whole discussion. And, and I want to just get you to elaborate a little bit on that. Um, you start out the article by talking about the sort of the, the sort of culturally accepted view mm -hmm. that it's, it's what's on the inside that counts, you know? So you give examples, yeah. you know, for example, you know, what's a box of chocolate without any chocolate inside her? Or, yeah. you know, a Christmas package if it doesn't have, you know, the ugly Christmas sweater. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I'm a bit disappointed because in Australia, it's hot during Christmas. So there are no ugly Christmas sweater parties because it's hot. Oh, wow. So it's That's very sad. sad. It's very, very, very sad. We need you to make like an ugly like... Christmas tank top or something. We, we need an alternative. Yeah, you could get like those like weird like flower collared shirts or something yeah, that's right we've got to yeah. do something there needs to be a tradition anyway <laughs> i'm going off yeah. Topic. <laughs> um yeah so the point that you're making early on is it's the inside that counts not the outside mm -hmm. um and then you sort of spin that on its head and say well it's not always true that it's just the inside that counts and, and yeah. you use this to launch into the the, the your main contention in the article that as Adventists, we tend to think so long as the message or the inside um, is there, that's all that counts. The outside, right? Mm -hmm. The art, the, um, mm -hmm. the design, the flyer, like all that stuff, it doesn't yeah. matter. That, that can yeah. be like really lame. Um, yeah. But so long as the, quad, the, the content, then that's all that matters. Yeah. And, and you're challenging yeah. that notion. Talk to me a little bit about that. Oof. Yeah, I guess. Um, like all of that is true. Um, like it is the content that matters and it, it like, cause if you like, if there's nothing inside, then for sure, like it's, it's not, um, it's not worthwhile. Like if we don't have a good message. Um, but yeah, I guess I was, as I was writing it, um, I was just blown. Like as I, as I've been going through this process of learning how important, um, God values the method of communication as much as his message. Um, yes. He, like, it's it just, 
has kind of floored me, um, realizing, wow, like God didn't just, you know, he could have done a lot of different things, but he utilized every part of our senses. Um, and so he made a beautiful sanctuary and he had beautiful music and he had, um, like it, it, like there were incredible smells that people experienced. Like you look at like the feasts and stuff that God, like all the ceremonies, like it was this really intricate and well-designed, um, beautiful system and experience, like a way for them to experience God that nobody on the earth had ever experienced their God like that before. And it was meant to just imprint his character. And anyway, so you just like, when I read that, I just get the sense that, wow, like God, it's not just like here, I'm just going to give you information, but I'm going, I know that you, we take in information, um, like, sorry, I don't feel like I'm explaining myself super well. We take in information like in really specific, um, like the method that you take in information will change how well it sticks. Um, mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Makes total but, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So basically yeah, it's like, just, yeah, like if, if you're presenting the message in, in a, in a methodology that is not, um, doesn't make sense to the person, it's not going to stick as much as if, mm -hmm. you, if you do use a methodology that really connects meaningfully with them. Yeah, exactly. And like, everyone communicates so differently and you, yeah, it's going to change. Like, I mean, I think of the way my mom interacted with us kids, like she interacted with each of us differently and she knew how to reach our hearts in different ways. And I think that's just what God's doing is he's like, I'm going to be so creative and utilize every single avenue I can to get people to understand how much I love them. Yeah, that's powerful. And I got to say, like, I think this is one of my favorite things about this entire article because I've read a lot of articles in the past of why we need art, better art in evangelism and why we need mm -hmm. to tap into the arts for evangelism. Mm -hmm. But what you've done mm -hmm. in this article, which I haven't seen in others, and I'm not saying they're not out there, I just haven't seen them, um, mm -hmm. is that yeah. you you go back, like you base your entire um, contention on on scripture like there's so much scripture mm -hmm. in this article so so for example you go back you know you challenge this notion of is is the message all that matters or, or is the you know the way in which it's presented meaningful as well um and 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 you say look i have to wonder if if god feels that the only thing that matters is the message because when you look at how he's communicated throughout scripture it's always so much bigger than that you know so for example you say in the article um he didn't ask israel to pull together a modest but functional house since it was obviously his presence that mattered the most and nothing on earth could compare to his glory. Um, and it, it, but rather you explain like it, it was, it was a beautiful house. Like it was stunning and he tapped into all the artisans in Israel yeah. and, and he, yeah. them, and Bez, Bezalel is like, you know, the, the, the case study, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that you mentioned earlier. And um, if, if, for those who are listening, you, you might be driving or something, but I'll just read from the, from the Bible, Exodus 31, verses 1 through 5. Um, and if you're sitting at home somewhere, you can look it up. It, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. And here's where it's just like, boom to design artistic works mm -hmm. like wow you know okay. to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting I jewels for setting and carving wood and yeah. to work in all yeah. manner of workmanship and that original word workmanship is 
the same word for artist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, like clearly God is like, he's communicating his character and he's like, he's really, really taking art seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's like, oh, sorry. (laughs) No, go on, go on. Um, No, I was just going to say, I think it's this, like, it's not just, okay, so there's the way that we, we naturally, like, humans are just drawn to beauty, like, we, Hmm. you just, that's the way we work, like, you, you set, you get a house and you start decorating it, or you, you know, like, wherever we go, we make our spaces fit, like, they, we want them to feel a certain way. And, but it's not just that God's like, okay, I'm like, I know this is the way they work. Like he made us that way. And I think, um, he wants beauty also because that's a reflect, like the outsiders a reflection of the inside. Like I was talking with a friend of mine a while ago and was really, you know, how girls talk in the bathroom, like we were in the bathroom and she asked me randomly, I don't remember like what the context was, but she's like, what do you think is the opposite of art? And I like I don't know where this answer came from like it just came out and I said hate and so then we started this discussion about or later she started writing this article that was really beautiful about um and I think it's published I don't remember where anyway um this just this like there's something almost synonymous like okay if if art is the opposite of hate then and hate is the opposite of love then there's in a sense, there's like this synonymous relationship between love and art. And it made me think of how, yeah, like they're, the outside of something reflects what's on the inside a lot of the time. And I think that's why God asks for such high standards of excellence, because he is a God of excellence. And he's someone like wherever love exists, it creates beauty. And so there's the aesthetic beauty. And that's a reflection of the moral and relational beauty that God wants to make everywhere he is. Amen. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, but. <laughs> that makes total sense. Absolutely. Look, I'm, and it's no lie that art is is really, really powerful. You know, like, and and I think even totalitarian governments have recognized this, which is why if you look at the history of, you know, for example, um, the fascist um, Third Reich, like they were getting rid of art. You know, like they were they were wanting to like rid the world of this stuff. Um, and there's a real sense, even as you look through through history in which, you know, people are protesting a lot of these injustices that it's, it's art that they turn to, right? Um, and it's, it's through art that they communicate the value of equity and, and justice and, and all these things that we see throughout history. So I think there's a very strong case to be made for the power of art. And, and I totally agree with you, like, to, to ignore that and say, look, all we have, you know, the message is all that matters. Um, yeah, the message is super important and neither one of us want to take away from that. But you don't, by emphasizing art, you're not taking away from it. You're, you're adding to it. You know, and this is what God does. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's because the message is so great that you want to make the outside great. Like, okay, if it's this awesome, then the, out, it sh- the outside should reflect that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, w- I want to read another um, quote um, from your article. Um, and, and then I want to pick your brain at it. Now, this one's a little bit long, so bear with me. Um, I can't help but think that if God took the time to inspire all the gifted artisans in Israel, he must have a high regard for the creatives in the church. If he cared enough to make sure that each artistic detail in his house spoke to the excellence of his character, then shouldn't we make sure that in whatever creative ventures we pursue, we give God our best. 
shouldn't we be mindful of the fact that whatever we do tells a watching world what we think of our Heavenly Father? If God cared enough to dedicate entire books in the canon of Scripture to poetry and song, if Jesus cared enough to spend a significant portion of his time on earth to being a storyteller, and if he cared enough to fill his house with colors, music, texture, and beauty, then he is a God who values and invests in the art as a way of telling us and the world who he is, and maybe we should be the same. Wow. Boom. <laughs> Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Now, look, I want to, I want to touch on something controversial here then, because this, okay. this, this brings it, you know, this sort of brings it to light. Right. Um, okay with controversial stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe controversial is an overstatement, but it's certainly yeah. true um, that we're not very good at this as Adventists, right? Like yeah. we're not yeah. very good at this. And, and yeah. later on, um, I, I'm going to have to read another quote in relation to this from the article in relation to this. But yeah, we're, we're not very good at this. Um, mm -hmm. And, and we, we tend to act in, 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 you mentioned this in the article, like we tend to act as though there's even something wrong with yeah. having mm -hmm. modern true. quality art. Um, and so this is a quote from your article that you mentioned, and, th and then I'll just hand it over to you. We think people will ignore the Revelation seminar flyer that looks like it's advertising a poorly made horror film or those Bible study guides that look like they came out of a 1990s time capsule. All right. <laughs> now, when I read this, I was like, yes. Yes, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it's so true. All right, I want to hand it over to you. Tell me what 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 was in your heart when you were when you were sharing this? Oh goodness, yeah. I mean, like it's been a little while since I read it, but yeah, hearing it again um, when I listened to that, it's in my heart. I think, and we look at things. Yeah, like it's a nineteen ninety or nineteen eighties time capsule. I what comes to mind is that. Like, I want to make sure that I am, okay, <laughs> this will make sense. I want to make sure that in my experience with God that I'm really committed, um, that in my really, like, I'm radically committed to letting Jesus save me and sharing him um, and letting that be the focus of my life and then um, making sure that I'm not, being um, becoming so afraid of culture um, and of worldliness that I don't know how to connect with people. And I think that's maybe where um, the rub comes in, where it gets difficult. Because I know I've definitely been in a place before where I've, I've been afraid to like listen to different types of music or I felt like it was wrong and I because I thought like, oh, this, you know, there's just a lot of ideas out there about why certain types of music are bad or you shouldn't, like this kind of art isn't great because it does this to you. And anyway, I think it's just important to um, uh, just make sure that my, yeah, my commitment is to Jesus and um, that his, like the message, the raw Adventist message is beautiful. Um, but I don't want to, I want to make sure that I keep culture separate from that and re like utilize like culture in itself. Like if it's not going against something moral, then why not use it to, bring someone closer to Jesus or to connect with them. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Sorry. No, it, makes, of... it makes total sense. Cause I think, and as you're sharing that, like here, here's kind of what's going through my head, you know, like we often talk about this and we say, Oh, we don't want to be like the world. And, and I'm cool yeah. with that. Like I'm cool with that. I don't want to be like the world either. 
Um, but at the same time, I think we often don't really know what we mean by the by the word yeah. world. Right? So, so <laughs> oh my example, goodness, yes, it's so true. Yeah, yeah. So for example, <laughs> I, um, I, I was recently browsing um, some of the because I'm right. I'm working on a series for the Compass Magazine on um, reimagining Adventism for secular evangelism. Okay. And so I was looking through um, uh, a, an, an, not an archive. It's like a, uh, like a, it's like a central source. I'm not going to put them on blast now because I'm not trying to be mean or anything. But there's mm -hmm. a central source um, where you can get all the Adventist evangelism flyers, and then you just tweak the letters in them. You know, like a, like a, like mm -hmm. a, you know, like a, like a pot where you could just go in and say, oh, we're going to do evangelism a little as a local church. Just go to this website. They've got all the flyers that Adventists have created and used and stuff. Um, and I'm, and I was looking at their art and, and the truth is like all of their art reflects a, a sort of 1950s, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> like style and, and it, it made sense back then. And so like we say, oh yeah, we don't want to copy the world, but well, we are copying the world. We're just like 50 years behind. Doing it That's, a lot later. You know I mean? Like what made that art back then okay to copy and then today it's not. Um, and so I was looking through these and, and, I, and, and I realized like the values that this style of art communicates, the emotion it communicates, um, the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the structures, the value structures it communicates made sense back then. So they were part of the world back then because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was talking mm -hmm. with an artist here um, in Australia. Her name's Shelley Poole. Um, and I don't remember the exact word that she used. I've interviewed her on the podcast before, um, but it was something along the lines of that there was this ideal after World War II, there was this ideal that the culture was pursuing. And so when you mm. look at the art, a lot of the art following that period, there's this mm -hmm. sort of ideal where people are airbrushed and everything looks perfect and, 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 and yeah. you know, um, sort of like the 1950s sub suburbia kind of look. Um, yeah. And it made sense back then because people were pursuing the ideal. Whereas today, people look at that art and they think it looks like cheese ball. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's really cheesy for today's culture. So all of that to say, like, we always like we do copy the world all the time. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. just tend to sort of feel a little bit better if it's like really outdated world. You yeah, know? <laughs> <laughs> like it can't be that um, bad. Sorry, I, yeah. I, I uh, you were you were saying something there. Oh, I was just yeah commenting like yeah agreeing with you that it, there's like this idea that if something is older then it's not as bad or it might even be holier because it's older. Where do you think we get that from? It's a good question. I have not fully thought that out, but I I wonder if it goes back to um, yeah like a, a misconception of maybe worldliness, what it means to be because Jesus says, okay, I don't want you to be. Like, you're going to be in the world, but not of the world. And honestly, when you said, like, yeah, we don't even know what that means, I totally get that. I posted on Facebook one time um, to my friends. I said, what does it mean to be worldly? And everybody had these, like, really confusing answers, like, oh, it's being, you know, not being filled with the spirit of whatever. And I'm like, what is that even? Like, very, yeah. like, cliche, just kind of relying, relying on jargon of scripture that doesn't really, okay, what is what does that look like in my life? And... Um, yeah, so I think it's there's like a misconception of what it means to be worldly um, and kind of like maybe falsely tying, um, like tagging certain types of art as worldly. And so, yeah, sorry, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. 
yeah, the question of where does this whole idea come from of holiness is, you know, something that's older and it's not as bad. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's just that there's, you know, the, things feel tamer back then and people, people get, I think people get scared of art, honestly. Like it's, because it's kind of art, like naturally, like people who are artists, I think they push boundaries and some of that is good and then obviously it can be taken too far because there's a lot of art in the world that doesn't point, like it doesn't promote um, good things. Like it doesn't promote love or unselfishness or it doesn't teach some truth. It, a lot of it gets really dark and not healthy. Um, but yeah, there's like, so people get afraid, I think. And so, you know, older stuff feels more tame and less like <laughs> insane and crazy. And, yeah, and then maybe, there, maybe, you know, maybe so you're like, like, oh, this has been around for a little safer. while. So we, yeah. Yeah. Kind of and you it. like, you get desensitized to it. And then also I think like there's this idea that like um, the way I first understood it was called like this fallacy out there called the, um, is it the genetic fallacy that like something's a thing's origins make it bad mm. and that's not always true. It could be true, but it's not always true. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's like, okay, if this, you know, here's something old and it came from a good place, then it must still be good and it must still be worthwhile and worth using. Like, okay. But like you said, like with those, um, you know, evangelistic posters from 19, whatever, like they were good back then. But the thing is, is that people change culture changes and our, our values and pe where people are at changes. And it, that's not always bad. Like it's, we're meant to be growing and changing. So we have to work to meet people where they're at. And that doesn't mean we have to compromise our morals. It just means that we're thinking of other, what's a creative way that we can show them God's love. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you, you mentioned something there that I think is really, really, really key. And if um, you know, for those who are listening, I'd say like, this is probably one of the, the, the absolute key points, like a, like sort of a, like a walk away. Um, it's, it's recognizing, um, you know, there's, there's a sense in which like every culture has, has good and bad. And mm -hmm. it's, it's recognizing, yeah. recognizing what the good elements are and making the most of that instead of assuming it's all bad. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but I, I do think that a lot of it to, sort of tends to come, you know, we, we, we use the Bible to kind of defend it. Um, you know, like what, what do we mean by the world? Um, mm -hmm. and, and like you said, you know, oftentimes we resort to very vague, um, scriptural jargon to, to say, mm -hmm. oh, this is what the world is. Um, it seems to me, and this would be probably a really cool, like other episode all on its own, but it seems to me in scripture that worldliness is primarily like an ideological thing, you know, like the ideas um, that we're promoting and how those ideas work their way into society. And, you know, like when Paul is writing about worldliness in the early church, he's not telling, you know, the young people don't wear Roman skirts, wear Jewish ones instead. You know, that's, that's not, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it, it yeah. wasn't, it's not so much about the sort of external stuff. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. a lot deeper than that. And sometimes I think that whatever culture we're used to and we're comfortable with, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to then turn around and look at other cultures that are different from us. Like, oh, that's, that's worldly, right? Yeah, because, no, we can easily yeah. like conflate like our own Western culture with holiness. Like, oh, it means because this is, you know, we've deemed this holy and this is what we're used to. So yeah, like the other stuff, we get afraid of what's different. And instead of like, instead of actually digging into the Bible and spirit and prophecy, like, okay, what is actually, what are the real principles that God's asking us to follow? 
and does this, you know, does this art or this method somehow go against that? If not, well, then it should be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, as as we as we go through the article, um, like you're making this this really strong case for you know how God is using art and how you know the, the power of art and the beauty of art. You you even share this um, quite a few quotes from from Ellen White and you know where she mm -hmm. talks about the power of art. Uh, particularly toward the end of the article, you bring up a quote from Ellen White where she talks about during the French Revolution how a lot of the artists who were also happened to be Protestants had to flee. Mm -hmm. and, and how this resulted in a, in, 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 in really negative social outcome for France because their artists mm -hmm. were now spreading their beauty elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, um, no, totally. So that inspires a kind of thought in me. Um, can the church sometimes treat its artists the way the French Revolution did to theirs? That's an interesting thought. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, you mean, do you mind like rephrasing the question? Are you meaning like, does the church ever, um, push artists away? Yeah. Yeah. So, cause I'm thinking about it sort of in the way Ellen White frames it, how it's not simply that, um, France, you know, pushes yeah. artists away, um, mm -hmm. but that they then took their beauty elsewhere. Like, is mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. something that we see happening, you know, where do we push our artists away and, it, and in turn, you know, lead them to take their beauty elsewhere that, that could be used mm -hmm. to, to, you know, furthering the mission that God has given us. Oh, I totally think, I, I mean, I feel kind of inadequate to answer that question because it's not like I'm a theologian or someone who studies like church statistics on, you know, people leaving the church and all that stuff. But I really do think that could like, that's totally plausible because yeah, like you have, I, I feel like I'm not the, I've talked to other, you know, friends and stuff and there's, yeah, we just generally don't appreciate the arts as much. And so if you, um, if you're a soul who's like, yeah, this is really what makes me come alive is when I am able to create something, but you don't feel like you have a place in the church, then it would, yeah, it could really, it could be easy to get to the point where you're like, man, I, I don't have a role when it comes to, mm. you know, this gospel. And so maybe I should go somewhere else. Yeah. And um, so it's, I think it's really important um to, to value and validate all those gifts um, that God's given us. Because, yeah, we don't want, I mean, it's, to me, it really sucks that, like, the church isn't known for, like, the church isn't leading the way when it comes to good art. Like, you look at, um, or, or, yeah, it's just, that's what I loved about that quote. Um, and I don't think it was actually, just to clarify, I don't think it was actually Ellen who said it. I think it was another dude. I don't remember what his name was. But the point is that she was, um, she was like affirming what he was saying. And that was that there was this really strong correlation between the Protestants who were on fire for God and their excellence in what they did, like their intellect, their academic research and their art and their pursuit of the arts and their craftsmanship. And in pushing that away, like France lost all of that. And yeah, so if we... Like, if we're not, I think people, yeah, going back, I think I said a little bit earlier, people who are the artsy types, they're usually, like, these kind of free-spirited people. I don't, not all of them, but, like, it's artists kind of, that's the whole thing with art, is you're imagining what isn't in a lot of ways. And you're picturing the, like, okay, well, if the world is like this, could, could it be like this? Or what about this? And and that's pushing the boundaries, and um, sometimes people get scared of that. 
and um, for good reason, like there's people who've pushed it way too far, but there's, yeah, if you like clamp down really hard on that and say, well, no, we don't allow any of that, then yeah, you're going to lose a lot of people who could bring a lot of value to the church. Um, because you look at people in the world and like the world communicates, like you have like people like Taylor Swift who, you know, she creates these songs. My younger sister loves Taylor Swift and she paid $330 to go to a concert by Taylor and she didn't even have a great seat, but people love, like that's an intense amount of adoration and worship that someone has for the arts. Like that's a huge amount of influence that one person has through their art. And I'm not saying we should make music like Taylor Swift, but <laughs> the point <laughs> is that like art is so powerful and the world is like not afraid to use it. And so why don't we explore and try it? Like if it's, yeah, if it's not going against what God says, like I love in Acts 17 where James, um, or not X17, X15, where they have the whole Council of Jerusalem thing, and they're like trying to figure out, you know, how do the Gentiles, like, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? What do they have to do if they want to be followers of Jesus? And, you know, they're not like us Jews who've grown up Jews, and they're trying to sort this thing out, and then James finally gets up, and he's like, hey, all this is what I think. He's like, I think we shouldn't make it hard for them, and he tells them, like, there's four things they need to do, and I mean, that's a huge cut from, like, all the other things that the Jews used to follow, but the principle I love is just that God is he's like, let's not make this really difficult for people to come to Jesus. Let's not make it hard for people. And I think when we're so scared of culture, like, oh no, if we if we if we make something look cool, we might become worldly. Then yeah, like we're making it more difficult for people who like that's just life, and it's not bad. It's just the way they're used to. Like the world has a standard of excellence when it comes to the way they present things and the way they design things. And yeah, like why don't we match that and try to tell them that yeah we understand and we believe in that too absolutely absolutely and and look i oh man there's like 500 thoughts going through my head right now just <laughs> from that last bit <laughs> um let me let me try and let me try and sorry that was out. like a really long monologue <laughs> no 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 it was it was awesome and it just inspired a lot of different different thoughts in me number number one i, I just i just want to mention a few few quick things and then yeah. I'll, I'll get to the maybe the main thought that i want to um explore um, so number one, like I fully agree. Um, you know, we need to value our artists mm -hmm. uh, because when we don't, you know, obviously they can take their art somewhere else, and mm -hmm. and the beauty that could have been the churches is now elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It's lost. Um, yeah. And the 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 truth is, valuing our artists, and I've seen this a lot in church, and I, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't happen all the everywhere so i don't want to be like painting everything with one brush um yeah. but what what do i mean by valuing artists and i think at the bottom line um one, one of the absolute bottom line things is if you have an artist that you're going to use like recognize how how much goes into that right because like mm -hmm. I, I i'm an, I'm an artist myself like i i i'm i don't do drawing as well i used to be a penciler when i was a teenager i don't mm -hmm. i don't do it as much as i used to I do more writing these days um mm -hmm. but because i because i was a good penciler it's like people just assumed that it was really easy for me yes it was oh like oh goodness. yeah yes. i can do you a drawing <laughs> in five minutes of anything you know i can draw the new york skyline for you just like that with my eyes closed it's totally. a lot of work and, and people who really value their art is not just mechanics on a piece of paper or on a canvas um, or on a piece of wood. It's it's their heart and soul that's going into it. And so I often oh, say to churches, so like, true. man, if you have 
an artist, like pay them, please. You know what I mean? Don't always be like, oh yeah, you'll just do it for free. It's not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we pay other people for stuff, but when it comes、yeah. to artists, it's like, oh yeah, just do it for free. Yeah, you know, it's like why? You know, like that's、yeah. a lot of. You wouldn't expect of that of a plumber if you hired someone to like, you know, put a, like help you with a plumber who's fixing your pipes in your house or your church or anything else, any other service. We wouldn't ask someone like, "Hey, can you do this for free?" Like exactly, yeah. But I've seen it happen to our artists all the time. It's like, so you know, true. Yeah, just do it for free. Um, and look, I understand, and I want to be fair here. Like, I understand that there's local churches that really struggle financially. Like, not every、oh, local yeah, church is made of money.、Sure. So, if you have a, an artist in your in your community, there are other ways that you can value them, where they most likely、yeah. would be willing to do stuff for free. But if you don't, if you can pay them, don't be stingy, please. Like, remunerate、yeah. their <laughs> their efforts.、Um, Now there was there was another thing that oh man there was so many things that when you said so many cool things I was、um, I, I should have like a notepad with me where I just yeah、um, <laughs> sorry I get on these like I just you know you start saying something I'm like shoot I just need to stop because <laughs> yeah yeah too much. <laughs> no it's all good man it's all good um I'm I'm just I'm just typing typing something in on on YouTube I'm I'm sorry on YouTube on um no you're good.、Uh, On Google right now because I'm trying to see the name. Okay, because I'm, I'm about to quote from、um, uh, an, an American anthropologist.、Um, he wrote a paper years ago called、um, "Body Ritual Among the Nasarima,"、uh, and I can't find his name for some reason. Why is his name popping up?、Um, Miner、like、was his surname. Miner,、um, Horace Miner. Okay. Body ritual among the Nasarima. Now,、okay. this is—I don't know. If you, have you ever heard of it? Never heard of it. No. Okay. No. All right. That's cool.、Mm -mm. Um, I shared this in one of those articles that I said I was writing for the Compass Magazine on on reimagining Adventism、mm -hmm. for secular outreach. And so I'll give like a really quick synopsis, and I hope that this、okay. can really help us, um, really capture how important modern. Art is, and not just like using ancient stuff.、Um, and this is true for our Bible studies. You know, like、mm -hmm. I study the Bible with a lot of secular people, and I've had to create my own Bible study series because these Bible studies with like the photoshopped, you know, nineteen fifties people. You know, it just the moment they look at it, they're like, nah. You know, I actually had a guy at my one of my local churches stop attending. He was, you know, he started attending because he was a vegan and. Our church has a cooking class, and he was like, "Oh, cool! You guys are vegan too." But he was a he was a secular Buddhist、um, mm -hmm. from Portugal, and、wow. um, and so you know, not not you know, for those who aren't aware, like there's 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 religious Buddhism, and then there's secular Buddhism. So he he was a very secular secular Buddhist.、Um, so he started attending just based on that, but then. Like someone at the church gave him a book with all of this ancient, like Daniel Revelation art, you know, like the really old school ones. Oh my goodness! And um, and he stopped coming to church, and I met with him after, and I said, "What's going on? Why aren't you coming anymore?" And he said, "Well, look, you know, someone gave me this book, and I'm looking at these images, and all those images to us emotionally communicate one thing because we're used to them, but、mm -hmm. to him, a secular Buddhist, they communicated something completely different." And he looked at them, and he was so disturbed by them that he was like,、mm -hmm. "I don't think I want to walk this path anymore." Like, and it was heartbreaking. Like it's like a cult or something. Yeah, it was heartbreaking because it's like, wow, that's so sad. There was no way I could salvage that, you know. But anyways, yeah,、um, 
going back to Horace Minor and the Nasserima, and you'll see how this connects. Um, so Horace Minor wrote this this paper, um, Body Rituals Among the Nasserima, and, and he's looking at this tribe. And he, he explains that um, he was able to get, he was able to build enough rapport with this tribe to observe their rituals. So I'm going to try and remember some of the rituals that they that they had. So he said the central tenet of this tribe is that they had this belief. And the belief was that everybody's everybody's physical body, there was a, everyone had a disease that was decaying, destroying their physical body. And so they had to do all these rituals to reverse the decay. So they had these marble like shrines in their living spaces with all kinds of potions and and um thing you know spells that they would they would do every single day you know sometimes repeatedly to reverse the effects of this decay um and so he he points out all other different oddities in their society uh so for example he talks about what he he refers to as the holy mouth man and he said that um as part of this these rituals to reverse the decay and Part of it was increasing their social desirability as well was that they would go through this ritual torture where this this person would actually like had all these awls and probes that he would like um, jab their mouths with. And, and they would do this every year, even though it didn't make a difference, you know. And so it's like, you know, there's this ritual torture that they would put themselves through. And it's like, ah, oh, it's, you know, but it didn't make a difference, but they did it every year. And, um, and he describes all kinds of other stuff. Like he talks about their temples and um, how there was, a, there was a saying among the young that the, the temple is the place you go to die because a lot of people would go to the temple and you'd never see them again. Um, and, uh, and, and he talks about, um, you know, the women would, would place their heads in ovens for up to an hour as part of their rituals. Like just really bizarre stuff. And, and he, he writes, he's like, it's surprising that such a magic-ridden people have survived this long, right? Um, no, seriously. But, yeah, yeah. But the amazing thing is when you realize that the Nasarima, that the word Nasarima is just American spelled backwards, and he's talking about modern-day Americans. And so, for example, the, the, the marble shrines are the bathrooms, and the potions are all our beauty products, Right? And the holy mouth man is the dentist that we see every year. <laughs> um, and, and the temple is the hospital where people do go and, and die, right? And, and the ovens that women put their head in for up to an hour are the beauty salon blow dryers that they stick their head. You know what I mean? Like, and so the point, it's, it's a brilliant paper. Like the point that yeah. Horace Minor is making is that a culture will always look peculiar to someone looking from the outside, but to people on the inside is perfectly normal. Um, and for me, this really speaks volumes because it's difficult for us at, as Adventists to really see how bizarre our art um, and, and the things that we're used to seeing is. But for someone coming completely from the outside in, they see this stuff and it's for us it's totally normal and it's like yeah it's no big deal but for them it's like what in the world is this like this is weird um and like you were saying earlier like we shouldn't make it harder for people who are turning to god and yet by refusing to be in the now when it comes to art when it comes to design um we are effectively making it really hard for people who are turning to god because they interact with this stuff that like Horace Miner said, you know, someone coming totally from the outside of American culture could look at American culture and be like, 
these people are weird. Look at all their magical, you know, look at all these weird things they do. Um, and it's the same, you know, and we don't normally perceive it that way. But for someone walking into our churches who, you know, a lot of our churches with the, with the, you mentioned, you know, like the horrible puke green carpet and, you know, <laughs> that you mentioned in your article and these really outdated designs on our Bible studies and our flyers and, you know, it makes it really hard for people to be like, hey, there's something valuable here worth pursuing. So I thought Horace Miner's paper kind of interacted really well with what you've written here. Yeah, I really liked, you know, as you were talking, I kind of um, was brought back to this book I read not too long ago on church planting. Um, and it was, it's a book by Andy Stanley. Um, he's an evangelical pastor of North Point Church. And um, yeah, he wrote this whole book on uh, creating churches that unchurched people like to attend. And it was a really, really powerful book. Um, yeah, especially for me, like like you said, like we're really blind to our own idiosyncrasies because we've grown up with them. We don't realize how weird we are. And yeah. um, he he had just a really great way of um, articulating. He had some. There was tons of really great things in the book when it came to okay, how do I want to do church? Like, is church just about me, or is church about other people? And one of the things he said I really like, and I think it connects with art too. Um, or why art is important. He said that um, when it comes to church, he said, where you begin your journey uh, determines who will come with you. Like, so where you start your journey changes who's going to join you for that journey. And I think that's really what, like, discipleship is. Like, I'm trying to go out and connect with people, and I want to bring them to know Jesus because Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, but that's a journey to get from that point to where you um, are living your life and surrender to Jesus. Um, that's a that's a long journey. But so I need instead of just like you know expecting them to just figure it out, I have to go out to them, and that requires a lot of empathy. That me, requires me thinking, okay, where are they at, and how can I bring them here? If I just start where I'm at, then the only people who are going to come with me are the people like me. That's right. Oh, man. Say it louder for the people at the back. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just crazy how we, like, and I feel, honestly, I feel really convicted when I think about that because, like, all my life, I just, you know, we talk about how, like, God wants us all to make disciples and God wants us to bring people in, but then we do church the same way over and over and over again, and we don't think about, well, like, it wasn't until a few years ago that I started thinking about, oh, like, okay, I should be asking questions. How can I do this differently so that someone who's never thought about Jesus before, maybe someone who might just have that flicker of desire, um, I can connect with them. Like, what can I do to meet them where they're at? Like, you know, that quote that everybody loves to quote from Ellen White in her book, Ministry of Healing, where she says that Jesus um, mingled with people and he met their needs and he cared for them. Like, we all talk about that a lot, but then when it comes to actually our practice, there's like, okay, wait, this is our goal, but is, is our method actually meeting our purpose? That's right. And a lot of times I know for myself it isn't, that I, I don't have that empathy when it comes to, like, when it comes to my presentation. Okay, am I speaking a language people can understand? Am I starting in where they are so that they can come to where I am? Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful, man. Um, Annalise, I'm going to read one more quote from your article. Um, as, we, as we near the close of our time together, this has been a lot of fun. Um, and I want to encourage everyone as well, definitely go back and read the article because there's so much more there. There's a lot of scripture, a lot of quotes um, that you're just absolutely going to love. Here's a quote toward the end of your article. 
When I look at the God of the Bible, I get the impression that musicians and poets are actually preachers, writers, designers, photographers, filmmakers, artists are in fact evangelists. Together, the creatives work to form a mosaic, a picture of the character of God that the world might not otherwise see. So we should value them accordingly, not just as a cultural luxury, but as an evangelistic necessity. That's powerful. Praise the Lord. That's yes. good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that is, that is, yeah. No, look, thank you so much for writing this article. That That is really, really, really powerful. And I couldn't agree more. Before we wrap up, I, I want to take, I want to launch off of that. And because um, my main focus at the Story Church Project is I want to inspire local churches, right? I, I believe the local church is where it's at. Um, in terms of Adventism getting into the world, it's not the conferences, it's the local churches, right? And not to knock the conferences, you know, like my conference is amazing. Western Australia Conference, yeah, like they're off the chain. Um, but the real, like, the real frontline work is done at the local church. And so I want to just sort of end with this question. Um, what, are, what would you say are, are some practical steps that local churches can take to to sort of redesign and, and look at the way that their art and, and, and their space communicates the character of God. Okay, practical steps that local churches can take to relook at the way they're, sorry, the last part of the question. So redesign the way that, um, yeah, they're, they're, the art that they're using and, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the way their space is. Yeah, how can they just utilize it more and gear it um man obviously it's going to be like every every situation is every local church is different like you need to think about what are the needs of your community and where where are you at and what um what do people need there but um practical ways to redesign your space i think yeah when it comes to rethinking your space just it starts with just realizing that like i think empathy is the principle and I want to put myself in someone else's shoes and so when it comes to the design of you know your local church or your space or the way you do things at your church um, yeah think about well what is when someone comes to my church and they've never been here before what are they seeing and what are they experiencing and what are they feeling and um, that's really hard to do and so it may be helpful if you have friends who aren't um, who aren't believers like I mean, maybe you could see you get them to come to your church, but or people maybe who go to a different church normally and ask them to come and just tell them how get give them the freedom to give your church a critique. Um, at my church, we we have that happen quite often, where we'll have friends who haven't been to our church for a while or friends who aren't church people, and they'll give us feedback and like, hey, this is kind of weird, or this was really cool. We really appreciated this about it, and that's really helpful. And just not to be afraid of that critique. Um, that's one thing that's good to do, I think, when it comes to if you're wanting to, if you're open to like, okay, I want to make this space more open. Um, that's, yeah, just get feedback from people who have good taste. Um, I don't know if that, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's actually really, really helpful because it actually touches back to something you mentioned earlier about, you know, about not making things more difficult for people who are turning to God. And I think that's a really, really good step that a lot of lo local churches can take because the bottom line is that following Jesus 
is not easy. And, and there's a spiritual warfare um, around every soul when it comes to making a decision for Jesus. In, in other words, it's already hard enough. So if we could get rid of stuff that doesn't need to be there, <laughs> like we shouldn't make it harder, you know, like it's yeah, already exactly. inherently hard enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good point because we oftentimes like what's normal for us is really good to have these young people and people coming in and looking and saying, well, mm-hmm. here are the areas where it makes it really hard for people to connect mm-hmm. and engage. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, Another practical thing would be like young people, like young people know what's, you know, what's going on a lot of the times. And that's a great way to get them involved. Like ask them if you see someone in your church who's got an artsy bent or someone who's great with social media or great with um, design, like get them involved because, yeah, like, you know, people like it can be scary to give someone freedom, give them um, empower them and just say, hey, go for it. We trust you. And yeah, they'll make mistakes for sure. But I think that's kind of like scripture doesn't give us formulas. They, God gives us principles. Um, mm-hmm. Give us like black and white, like this is how it needs to be done. Because um, that's just not the way we grow. Um, and so like just be willing to embrace the messy process. And remember like it's okay, what are God's principles? And let's stick with that. And then, but like God gives so much freedom. Like I was walking the other day, um, just to my house, and I was thinking I had read in Steps of Christ, which is a phenomenal book, um, how she talks about how nature reflects God's character. And I haven't, to be honest, but like usually don't take those statements super seriously, or I just have a hard time relating with them because I've heard people, I, I always think of people who look at clouds in the sky and they're like, oh, it's a heart-shaped cloud. That means that God loves me. And it feels really superstitious <laughs> and like magical and I'm like okay let's can we like do something that appeals to our minds too (laughs) but then I started thinking I was like I was just walking home and I just started noticing like there's an insane amount of variety and if nature is a reflection of what God likes and what God values like God values individuality so much we don't have to do things in a uniform way like there's a million and one right ways to do things and that that God that can glorify God and young people are into all the new ways to do things like they know about it so utilize your young people get them involved and ask them to help and yeah they'll make mistakes and it'll be messy but like hey that's how you that's how they learn that's right that's right man that's that's beautiful and you know uh, this is going to be a separate episode in the future so I want to um, encourage mm-hmm. you guys to keep your eyes out for this one because but I think it bears you know worth mentioning at least briefly right now. <laughs> um yeah man definitely get your young people involved in your church website um yeah we'll talk about that more in the future but (laughs) suffice to say most adventist websites scare people away so anyways (laughs) um annalise thank you so much for hanging out with us today it was thank you for having me yeah to talk to you to pick your brain Guys, head over to lightbearers.org. Look at the blog, The Lost Art of Evangelism. It's going to be linked in the show notes and also on the Story Church Project blog um, titled The Lost Art of Evangelism with Annalise Wallman. 
and uh, and make sure you read the whole thing and share it with your church because they're absolutely going to love it. It's, it's just a brilliant piece. And Annalise has other articles on there as well. Read all of them. She's a great writer. Thanks for hanging out with us today, guys. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you get to the Story Church Project and download a free copy of the ebook, How to Study the Bible. The Bible. Sorry, that was a bit of a tongue twister there. How to Study the Bible with Postmoderns. You're absolutely going to love that. It's free. And, um, and I just pour out my heart in that bit. So, um, check it out and I'd love to know what you think, but until then, I just want to encourage you to keep redesigning Adventism for the mission God has given us and I'll catch you for a new episode next week. <laughs>